Okay, 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 okay. Mary, am I going? Here we go. Let's pray. Let's go. Let's pray. Let's go. Let's have some fun here. Welcome. It's after Epiphany going toward Transfiguration and Lent. Merciful God, loving Father, who governs all things in heaven and on earth and makes everything new through your almighty word, transform us, we pray. Forgive our sinfulness, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, let us please you and attain perfect joy in heaven someday through Christ our Lord. Amen. Okay, here's a lot. Of, here's some weird, something weird. Since we changed the seating, you're giving less to the to the to the to the, to the, to the what, So what's the deal? You angry? You protesting? You voting with your wallets? Is that the deal? Is it pure? Like, well, and we don't know who it is. We don't know if it's the table people that are slacking, or you people who are sitting in the soft chairs falling asleep. What's going on around here? Offerings in this thing way down since we changed the seating. Okay, we're taking your message. Next week I'm changing it around. That's the end. We're doing something different. We'll give money to Ghana. Hit a basket if you can. Um, thank you very much. for. It's been great. Um, and I think, you know, you guys are pretty aware. You probably saw the financial stuff in the bulletin. I mean, giving was very strong in December. Uh, and lots of things are happening, so that's fun. Someday when we have a voters meeting, we'll catch you all up. But, you know, it's all really good. Um, men's retreat. Let me put a plug in for this. It's still sort of coming together, but um, if you think you're com- uh, well, if you're coming, uh, would you sign up because we need to contract for hotel rooms? The, com- the the concern has been, you know, we drive a couple hours away, and that limits the guys who can come. It's guys who work till six o'clock don't get there till nine o'clock. So we're going to try something different. I think. Don't hold me to it. I think. We're going to go to the Embassy Suites just beyond the Home Depot, not as far as Oak Brook on Butterfield. So here's the deal. If you pay 50 bucks, you stay overnight. Um, so here's the weird thing. Uh, this, this is for you and your friends. They have, like, they have free hors d'oeuvres and drinks. So Martha said, like, does that mean like one drink or two? The woman says, hey, no, we, we figure eight drinks per person. We're like, hey, that's us, okay. What? Eight drinks per person and two hours of hors d'oeuvres? What kind of... So here's what's going to happen. If you're staying overnight, you can check in. You can have a beer from 5.30 to 7.30. There'll be hors d'oeuvres and blah, blah, and we don't have to do any of that. Uh, if you come at 7.30, there'll be pizza and beer wherever you are because some folks actually have to work for a living till later times. And then the next morning, if you stay overnight, there's made-to-order breakfast. But here's the good thing. If you just want to come Friday night or you just want to come Saturday morning and hear Dr. Just, the theme is A Man's Life is Pilgrimage, and if you could just come one or the other, you want to come both, or if you want to have a friend come and meet you or bring a friend, it'll be free. So the only cost is if you stay overnight. Otherwise, we'll, we'll subsidize the rest of it out from um, somebody's department. Larry Lee, I think, is the guy. I talked to him. I just can't remember where I am. I think it's Larry Lee is picking up the bill. So, uh, but the thing that we need is, if you're going to stay overnight, we need to contract for the room. So I'm going to just put it right here. Note whether or not you're staying by yourself. It's 50 bucks if you have a roommate. It's 100 bucks if you don't. Um, there are doubles and triples. There are sofas that pull out. There are extra beds. Blah, 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 blah. Okay? Mostly we need to count noses. That's the first thing. Second thing is, Fred Gady is going to be ordained. I mean, we love the Gadys from forever. So uh, the first of Friday, the first of February, if you can come, that would be good. Okay? Uh, anything else? Questions about anything? Life's good? You feeling good? See if I can give you this too. You need anything? Okay, here we go. 
You uncomfortable yet? Your assignment was silence. Oh, in the groove already. Your assignment for over the last four weeks or three weeks, however long we haven't been together, was to take five minutes in the morning, five minutes at night. How'd you do? You're all like right on top of it. Everybody else too in the room right on top of it. Have you checked around with people? Yeah. How's your, how's your five minutes in the morning, five minutes at night going? You forgot you were supposed to take five minutes in the morning, five minutes at night? Maybe not. Did you work? I don't want to ask you to raise your hand because, you know, it's not. I was just curious how, how it's going. Well, let's talk a little bit about that today. So you've got a little piece in front of you um, just on being silent. Uh, let me just spin to that. It was in the back. You remember um, Mark 6.31, perhaps, where Jesus and the disciples are very busy. And uh, even Jesus says, you know, we've really got to just be quiet for a little while. Uh, the hard thing in that story is that as soon as Jesus gets across the lake to get busy, I mean to get rest, um, people are there and he feels sorry for him and he ends up teaching Bible study anyway. The apostles came back to Jesus. They told them all they'd said and all they'd done. And Jesus said to them, come away by yourselves to a lonely place. Men's retreat. Not exactly. <laughs> come away by yourself to a lonely place and rest a while. Come away by yourself to a lonely place. So first by yourself, second to a place where nobody else around you, not distraction, and rest for a while. For many were coming and going and they didn't even have leisure to eat. So that would tell you that being a Christian does not involve being constantly busy. Um, being a Christian means some balance in life where you have time simply uh, to be quiet and then let the quiet be filled. This is an ancient thing uh, since Jesus and before everybody knew that. Uh, but what happens is, I'm at point three, is we struggle with that. Uh, even though you know it's good for you, I give you a couple things. Lamentation 3.26, it's good to wait in silence for the Lord to save, right? Or in returning and rest, returning back to the face of God, returning to church, returning to the presence of God, returning to the Eucharist, however you want to characterize that. In turning, in returning, in coming home, and you remember then Lent is always about this time where you make the turn. In returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and trust shall be your strength. If we get where we want to go today, we'll actually see how quietness builds trust. We'll see how that works out. And then next, in the, in the morning, a great while before the day. In the morning, a great while before the day. So before sunup, Jesus rose, went out to a lonely place, and there he filled his quiet time with prayer. So you've got the example in Jesus himself. Um, and maybe there's something to silence. This is point four. And uh, maybe in then kind of filling the silence with meditation and prayer. We talked for three weeks or four weeks about meditation and what that means. But at first, um, I just want to see if I can reiterate for you how important it is to have a time and a place where you're quiet and then where that quiet is filled up with Christ and all his gifts. Um, the world is terribly distracting. I mean, one of the hardest things for us is getting people's attention, right? So it can be a noisy place, it can be a distracting place, it can be a messy place. But you also know that chaos is the mark of the demonic. 
Not, now, not just noise. I mean, noise, good noise sound can be good. Noise can even be good. Um, there's different kinds of noise. But chaos, uh, noisiness, distraction, that is the way of the demonic. Disorder, if you will, is the way of things that are demonic. So, you know, if you never have quiet, you know, your life will be... If, if you never have order, your life will be difficult. Um, Kierkegaard, you know... The present state of the world and the whole of life is diseased. This is 19th century, industrial revolution, things coming up, everything moving too fast. If I were a doctor and were asked for my advice, I should reply, create silence. Bring me silence, okay? And yet, if you've tried to find a few minutes in the morning and night, um, you may even find that it's noisier inside your head than outside. So just for you, who've had some time... um, if you took even a couple, even if you took a couple of swings that happened five minutes in the morning and five minutes at night, what happened to you when you sat down? What happened? Your brain starts. Your brain starts going. What's it go on? What are you thinking about? I mean, if you can say, really, like a little ping pong ball bouncing around in your head. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. Physically, you find it hard to sit still. Now, if you don't mind, I'll ask, and you don't have to answer anything. Do you sit? Do you kneel? Do you stand? Sit. Okay. I do too. I usually I usually sit, um, but yeah, you can. You know, sitting, kneeling, standing are all perfectly acceptable. What happens to you? Right. So the initial reaction is, if you want to be quiet for five minutes, you probably need ten minutes, right? What else happens when you sit down? What happens when you try to be silent? What happens to you? Right, and so if you're a good Buddhist, uh, or if you go to hot yoga too often, at some point they'll say to you, begin to concentrate on your breath, which is, um, uh, you know, uh, which is pushing you toward meditation, because as we talked about, meditation always takes an object. And this is one of the differences then between Christian meditation and non-Christian meditation, which is whether or not you are the object of your attention, right? Okay. What else happens? Anything else? So physically, you start to become aware. Mentally, it's all over the place. What else? Anything else? Yes, please. Bye. Right. I can't believe my pipes sound like that. I wonder what's wrong with my pipes. Maybe I should call Jim Butcher. I wonder if he's sitting quietly or if he's answering his phone right now. It's like that. Yeah. Anything else? Oh, I was going to say you old romantic until you finished up with that. <laughs> An old song that you wish, so like, are you thinking about like when you were, went to those Stones concerts when you were young, or what are you thinking about? But, oh. All right, good. Yes, please. Yes, that's good. Way to short circuit it. So let's transition into that. So um, pause for the prayer thing a bit, young Luther. Good impulse. Hold that for a second. Um, what do you do? Uh, or what did you try, or what did you do 
uh, in order to clear your head. So things are bouncing. Can you go make yourself go white? You're like a little baby Buddha. <laughs> you can do it. That's good. What do you do when things are so busy? The, that's actually very helpful if actually um, things of Christ are coming into your mind. Um, so you said scripture, but it can also be the memory of your baptism, adoration of the Eucharist, all these sorts of things. Go ahead. I look at an icon of Christ. Good. So you um, refocus your attention, right? So this is actually very good. Um, you know, we have this uh, notion where we say we entertain ideas. You know, you know this phrase, we entertain ideas. It's actually what we do. When you, have an enter- when you have an idea, you say to an idea, oh, you look reasonable. Why don't you come sit to have a drink and maybe we'll talk you over, right? You actually entertain ideas. That's the way you engage it. Um, when you have a noisy head or a noisy body, um, if, I, if, you just, if you tell yourself, don't think about it, don't think about it, I've got to not think about that, I wish I wouldn't think about the pipes that are making noise, don't think about it, then what happens? Think You're it. thinking about it, yeah. So, um, you know, don't think about monkeys, ready? Don't think about monkeys, yeah. right? How's that going for you? Go. Yes, right. Right. You know, I never thought about hypnotizing this group, but this is a new idea for me. I mean, here's the thing. You, I would have been much more effective, because I've seen the Three Stooges, where they walk out on the flagpole. I've seen that. I know what can happen. I, I wish I, we should have, hmm, we should have put money in the budget for that. Oh, what's that? The giving will go up. It's exactly right. That's exactly right. Uh, the giving will go up if we tried <laughs> hypnosis. Yes, well, that's, that's good. So, here's, so let me just suggest this to you. You sit down, um, and uh, well, I'll work backwards. Um, what you want to do is, instead of, you recognize your ideas. They're knocking on the door. Things are coming in your head. You can't avoid them. Usually you can't avoid them. Um, If you can go blank, God bless you, but very few people. Going blank with a white thing, you're just about like the guy they can bury in the coffin for 30 days and then dig him up and he's still alive. I mean, that's all advanced yogi stuff, okay? So just let that go for a sec. Um, What I'd suggest to you is you recognize the intrusions, whether they're inside your head or outside your head, and then, as many of you said, and that's very helpful, you simply refocus or redirect your thoughts. So you recognize that... um, Marilyn's here, but you redirect in a different way. Now, the last thing we talked about before was preparing a space to do this. Or Luther said, I just go to church, which means you can cut to the chase. Uh, If you prepare a space in advance, if you have a place to kneel, if you have a place to sit, if you have a place to stand that's quiet, maybe where you can't hear the pipes, um, where the phone doesn't ring, you know, Turn it off. Don't even switch to vibrate because you'll hear it. Turn it off. Um, you know, you don't have to answer anybody just for a moment. And if you prepare the space with, and now, as you've said or other people have said, you prepare the space with things which will not distract you but encourage you or let you refocus. So things like a candle. Candles are very gentle. Um, you know, they, they change the mood of a room. 
but also you have the memory of Jesus Christ is the light of the world, the light no darkness can overcome. And if you've been to church enough, that pops into your head whenever you see a candle. Or um, incense. If you, there is a way, and you know, this is partly, now, you know, five years ago everybody's concerned about incense. Now, if you think to yourself, it's, I think it's Exodus 30, where they give the formula for incense that can only be used in church. You can have other kinds of incense, but you can only use this incense in church. Why? Because even in Exodus, they understood how powerful your smell is. And when you smell it, you go, I'm in church, right? So you come in the morning, you go, oh, I'm in church. So if you l use a little incense at home, be careful. I told you my very first escapade with incense, did I not, where I set the church on fire? Have I told you this story? In my first parish, I was, you know, we were goofing around, we were playing, and I had, had some things, but I didn't, you know, blah, blah. Anyway, so I took a little charcoal briquette, and I thought when the ashtray said shatterproof, it meant it. So I actually put it in a little glass ashtray, and I was teaching a Bible study like this, and it was lit, and I was holding it in my hand like this, and I put a little bit on, and we're playing with it, we're talking about it, blah, 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 and it's not hot, but all of a sudden, the ashtray shatters all over the first pew. Now, here's the thing. In the second pew was the volunteer fire department. <laughs> and they thought this was hilarious. They thought they'd never seen anything like this. You can't pad it out because it's shards of glass. It's, um, it's a padded pew like the old ones we had, and those are made of nylon. So what happens? They melt. They're smoking. It's smoking, but you don't know the smoke. And they're like, they think this is the most hilarious thing. Their new pastors just set the church on fire. <laughs> if you go there today, you can still see the marks of this thing. It's sort of like bullet holes, you know, in the, in the wall. Yeah, you could still... So, so here's the thing. Be careful. You can get a little sensor and use it. But if you do that, what you do is you erase and, you know, help yourself with any other kind of smell or an icon or memory work. So you said both of those things, which is you redirect toward an icon Sight is extraordinarily powerful. What's going on there? So um, at Pastor Chats on, on Wednesday, you know, part of what we did with the kids was read an icon of nativity. What's that? What's that? Who's that guy? Why do they have that? What do you call that? How come, the, how come Jesus looks like a mummy? Because that's what swaddling clothes look like. And, oh, yeah, you're supposed to understand that his birth is his death. So it's a double thing. You know, you start to see things. So you redirect your, yourself. Now, um, all of this is just in advance of trying to get quiet enough that you can read some scripture, remember the Eucharist, remember your baptism, say some memory work, think about the little baby Jesus, say the Our Father. So I want to encourage you, if you can, to you know, try to find a time, try to find a place, set it, and prepare it in advance. Yes, please. Say more, Carol, if you would. Initially, we've had thoughts of, from time to time, we thought about, does that need music? Or sometimes we grieve when we're, you know, a couple of minutes late, but we always actually know you're going to be okay because it's always very quiet. And it actually is beautiful. If you want to come in the morning at 7.40, it's quite remarkable. I'm always it's staggering that 20 or 30, sometimes 40 people will show up for the Eucharist on a, on a morning. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, there's always church here at 7.40 if you want to come. And that's what Luther said, too. Just go to your church and sit in the back pew or something. Yes, Miss King.
Say, say it again if you have pets or small children. And, and, you know, flowers, too, of course, is, you know, kind of an old church thing. But you want to get things smelling as much like church as you can. If you can get a particular, if you can get a particular smell going. But you're right, anything that's sort of soothing uh, and, and has, has um, that grabs the attention, that at the same time blocks one thing and brings another. So at number seven, remember how we started. Physical silence fosters inner silence. So pick a time, a place, a chair, a room, a garden, a chapel. Embellish if you can. And you're trying to build a rhythm which frames the day. So you're trying to start and end the day in the name of Jesus. This is the most basic thing. This is Old Testament. This is the Acts Church. If you read the Acts, even after Jesus' crucifixion, as long as they could, before they were kicked out, before they were martyred, the disciples kept going to the temple, morning and evening prayer. That was always the rhythm. Yeah, I know in the monastic times they developed, you know, the hours of the day. The problem is, is real people don't have time to pray that often. Even if you go to a monastery, you'll hear the monks complain sometimes they can't get anything done because they're always praying. And then the abbot reminds them that prayer is, you know, holy kind of work. But um, you should know, I'm at point eight, you know, that you you will be um, challenged. And I said a little bit about this. And so silence doesn't automatically mean tranquility. It doesn't automatically mean that things are going to be fine. Silence means oftentimes that you're going to be challenged. Um, You know, I should say this, and I probably should have said this more, and maybe I didn't realize it when I was younger, or maybe I thought you knew it, or in in whatever case, uh, maybe it's just the uh, bitter experience of kind of growing through the church now, or maybe it wasn't understanding that, if you put yourself into the life of Christ or into the story of Christ, and that goes for all of you, then um, the Christological life means that you end up living out every bit of the life. So Jesus suffers, and some way you will suffer. You know, Jesus has great days. You'll have great days. Jesus is a funny guy. Catch a fish, there'll be a coin in the mouth. Pay Caesar with that. Let's keep playing cards. You know, Jesus has a lot going on in his life. You should know, and I, you know, we should have said this more often, Anytime you try to make an advance, you can expect some demonic resistance. You know, it's a great C.S. Lewis thing. The best way to damn a man is just to leave him alone. So if you begin to do this, you're going to get some pushback. If you push against the darkness, the darkness pushes against you. All I can say to you is, one, it's what Jesus asks you to do, Mark 6.31, come away a while and rest, come away a while and say your prayers. Gethsemane, come away a while and pray with me. You know, um, Paul, I get, Christ gives us his spirit so that the spirit can pray for us and we can pray in the spirit. I mean, over and over again, this is what Christ asks of us. So you really need to um, find a place to be able to do that. Now, why? I wonder if I could get you to love silence for its own sake. What's interesting in you, and it may be good, and it, uh, you know, it's probably good. Um, it can be a stumbling block if you... Um, if you move a bit too quickly, but I think in you it's probably a notion of maturity rather than immaturity, which is silence for its own sake is actually a very healthy thing. You know, and many of you said, um, and very easily and rhythmically, which is good, I sort of move from silence into prayers. I sort of move from silence into meditation. That's actually great, but I just want to see if I can get you to pause for a moment and value um, Silence for its own sake. Um, 
This time of silence and trial, when under attack, this silence before sinners, evil persons, and demons is beneficial for us. Look at 11. I give you a couple of things, um, you know, in Amos 5. Therefore, he who's prudent will keep silent at such a time, for it's an evil time. So in a moment, I'm going to suggest to you how silence actually is a practical, active thing. But at least just take that first. If you're in an evil time, you might work at being silent. So one of the ways that you, one of the ways that silence benefits you (coughs) is that you learn to carry it out of your own prayer life into the world. Here's the deal. There's almost no time that it's silent. And given, given Twitter, there's almost no thought that's unspoken. Um, I don't have a Facebook page, so I creep on my wife's page occasionally. She wasn't home last night, so I had a lot of fun with this. No, really. I just, I, I just, I wanted to check on the kids indirectly, you know, because, uh, you know, because that's how you find out what your kids are doing. So um, I just clicked on her Facebook. I'm like, it was like reading, like there was even a disclaimer from Ace Hardware about some thing, product, video. I'm like, how can you, how can life be so interrupted that your Facebook page even becomes, well, you know, this is the whole notion of monetizing. But the thing is, is this whole notion of, of, of um, silence for its own sake and the ability to keep silent. There are people, as you know, who just can't shut up. I mean, no, and no thought goes unspoken or untweeted in this case. I mean, the big problem with your kids and mine is they think that the Internet is their bedroom, and really the Internet is their front yard. So I know things about people just inadvertently from looking at somebody else that I wish I never knew. Really, we could use a bit more restraint. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of things. If I didn't know one more bad thing about any of you, I would be really, really happy. If I never knew one more bad thing about anybody, or embarrassing thing, or inappropriate thing, or indiscreet thing, not everything needs to be said. It's going to be very interesting. I mean, I'll be dead by the time this happens, but I'm going to be very curious how all of this plays out. Um, when people, when everybody knows everything about everybody, and then sometimes you can make it appear that, you know, you know things about people that don't actually happen or didn't really exist. It's very interesting how it's all going to play out. I'll just tell you that the scriptures take the other side of the argument, which is sometimes it's just good to be quiet. Sometimes it's just good to observe. So, um, you know, you get it from Jesus himself. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, and yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that was led to slaughter, like a sheep before his shears, he was silent. He opened not his mouth. St. Ambrose, the devil loves noise. Christ looks for silence. Or turn the page. The just person is his own cloister. Okay? The just person keeps silence in the face of insolence. The just person prays. Or even St. Benedict, there are times when good words are left, are to be left unsaid out of esteem for silence. At least you might, in one way to carry this into the world, so this is not just that silence makes way for your um, prayer life and for your meditation on Scripture. That's great. But there is the possibility, and I guess you know this is learned by us later, and you know it's but maybe we learn it anyway. One of the good things about silence is we carry it into our own lives. There are probably things you've said you wish you wouldn't have said, 
right? You know, my favorite Zen saying, a flying arrow uh, and an unkind word can never be recalled. You, just can, you can never get it back. So part of the silence is just the discipline of not having to reveal everything, not having to say everything that occurs to you, because everything that occurs to you and to me is not always that helpful. Now watch the progression of what happens here just with silence. <coughs> silence creates patience. So you, act about your, you ask about yourself, um, if you're impatient, Byron, you know, you're good enough to, I'd love to check back with you, maybe not publicly, but in a month, check back with you, or six months, and see how your body is working out. So you start to be quiet. You start to feel things. I got a little tinge here. I seem a little stuffy. My right knee hurts. And, you know, my stomach's growling. Where's my wife, right? I'll just be curious in six months what happens with you with that. Be curious whether or not you still recognize that, whether that's helpful or whether that gets pushed to the side. One of the things, you know, long period of people who have been in silence, I mean, these are people who go to monasteries and they don't talk except to say, hey, the bull is running at you, it's right behind you, or, you know, they just, they just don't talk. You know, so they actually kind of learn what silence looks like. One of the things that happens is it gets exported as patience. And this great line... Um, God's great co-worker is time. And in an impatient society, in an impatient life, in, in, a, in a place that's ruled by deadlines, where people measure you in very short bursts, and it's really what you do today that matters, I mean, that's a very interesting thing to remember, that God's great co-worker is time. So you make time, and you're quiet. You make time and you're silent. What happens is, this is just natural, you actually get good at it. You actually get good at being quiet, which then manifests itself as patience. This is very good if you're impatient. One of the remedies for being impatient is to sit quietly. Now what's going to happen is, especially if you're impatient, just review where we've been. Everything's going to happen inside and outside, physically and mentally. It's all going. You recognize that. You have them sit down over here, and you turn back to what you're interested in, the silence, and eventually the candle, the incense, the icon, the scripture, the Eucharist. Okay? So I'm not saying, if you sit around and say, I'm ignoring you, I'm ignoring you, I'm ignoring you, when you say that, you're actually not ignoring it. You actually have them sit down, relax, you know, take a number, you're over here, I'm doing something else right now. What happens then is it shows itself in patience. Um, you know, one of, the, one of the difficulties with this is, and this is one of the difficulties of, that, that comes with, um, or it's a criticism of people who live a monastic life or they live a cloistered life or they live in a hermitage, they're away alone, which is none of you um, or me. You know, one of the criticisms of them is that this takes them away from action, away from doing good. And, of course, such a thing is not true in most cases. So you shouldn't hear me saying that your silence is a lack of action or a lack of concern for others. And this, of course, can go bad. And this is why Lutherans often have a, they have a knee-jerk reaction to things like meditation or things like silence because they have a knee-jerk reaction to monasteries in this long tradition. 
Luther did it. Luther went to the hardest monastery in town, the Augustinians, and he learned to do this, and he did it his whole life. And if you read, he says, it was in this meditation, it was in this silence, it was in paying attention to Scripture that I actually learned the difference between the law and the gospel. I learned that the righteousness of God was a gift and not something that I had to do. It's unfortunate that for two or three hundred years this has been primarily lost, but it's all around us now. We should reclaim it as our own and use it. You should use it. So one of the things is if you're quiet, it helps you turn your attention back to Christ. If you're quiet, it helps you to build virtue like patience. And if you're quiet, it actually helps you prepare yourself for action in the world. What happens is if you're quiet and then read scripture and then say your prayers, what happens is you actually have a Christological foundation for living in the world. I'm not suggesting to any of you that you live outside the world. These are the resources that you need to live in the world as an active Christian. So please don't hear me saying as, this is all that matters. This is a good thing in itself, but it also delivers benefits as you go back into the world, where you'll be for kindness, where you'll be for justice, where you'll be for mercy, where you know why you do what you do. You know, you know what it is to live a Christian life, what it is to obey Christ. And that, you see then, gives an order to your life. One of the um, great difficulties, and it goes with a noisy life, is that people live by impulse. Um, It's getting more and more difficult. Uh, You know, I suppose people always say that as they get older, and I get older, so it's like, it's getting more and more difficult to raise children, to be in the world. But in some sense it is, because, let's just say it this way, the particular challenge of um, raising children over the last 50 years and, and going forward, bringing people into the church, the particular challenge is that we're no longer a Christian society. In some ways, maybe that's better because it's stark, but the problem is you really have to start at, at zero if you want to explain to your kids why they didn't, don't do particular things, if you want to explain to people outside why they should come into the church. There's nothing in them anymore that you can p- appeal to um, as virtuous. Um, the world is run by self-interest unabashedly. And that's exactly opposite the church, which is run by Christ's interests. Whatever Christ's interests are in the world, those are my interests. So what you need to do is, and this is partly why we put such a premium on learning in this congregation, what you need to do is sit down, clear your mind, read your scriptures, say your prayers, and then go out and engage the day. And because you've done that morning and evening, um, you've, you know why you do what you do. It seems terribly simple. The problem is nobody does it. So, you know, kind of the begging is, and of course, you know, if you have any sinister sense at all, you know I'm setting you up for Lent. Because the next thing to come is fasting. And just in time for Ash Wednesday. This will be so convenient, you see. So what I'm going to suggest to you is that by the time we get to Ash Wednesday, February 13th, you have at least three or four disciplines available to you. Creating silence, meditating, saying your prayers, and fasting. What I'm trying to do is, I'm just trying to get, I'm trying to get you to have a little taste of this, and I'm curious if it all happens together with us, what change that will make in our lives. St. John is a really cool place right now. It's very disciplined. I mean... You all gave something like $190,000 in December. That's like, you know, off the charts, really good giving. Don't stop, don't stop. <laughs> but, I mean, you're sort of like, you sit in a governing board meeting and you go, 
how do people give 190? And that wasn't like special gifts and stuff. That was just like kind of in the plate, end of the year, catching up, here we go. The governing board's question, you know, going forward is going to be, for the whole time I've been here, the governing board question has been, how are we going to pay the bills? How are we going to pay the light bills? The, 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 the question is just about to switch, which is, we got a big pile of money on the table. What are we going to do now? It's going to be a very interesting life together. Here's the deal. It's going to take great calm, great patience. You know, it's going to take great prayer, great, you know, discernment to figure out how to go forward. But it's going to be fun. So, you know, sort of the gambit of doing this this year is, what if a hundred people really commit to every day, morning and evening, just five minutes, okay, maybe ten, just to sit down, be still, focus on Christ, think about what obedience means before they go into the world, and then at the end of the day, to sit down, be still, focused on Christ, and release everything you've got to Him so that you can sleep well and not worry about it. What would our life together be like? And what would it be like if we had that sort of as the common thing, and now you can kind of hear why the new members things goes for months rather than hours, because we're trying to pull you into a particular kind of life, because what will happen then, if, you, if this is like through and through you, through and through you, it just always comes out of you. When you go out into the world, and this is the next thing that we need to do, we've pretty much solved you know, money problems. We're not distracted by moving into a new place. We have all these great things that are right before us for our use. I mean, just the beauty of the music or the beauty of walking into the sanctuary. Okay, I mean, really, the next thing is, is making disciples, as Jesus says, drawing people in, beginning to say to people, you know, you should do this too. But people are going to ask you, why should I sit in silence? Why should I pray? Why should I go to the Eucharist? And people are going to ask you those questions. You shouldn't always have to say, you go ask my pastor about that. What you should be able to say is, oh, I sit in silence because it makes me patient. I sit in silence because it blesses me. I sit in silence because it keeps me from sassing off when even, even, when, even times when sassing off would be quite appropriate by the world's standards, right? I sit in silence because it prepares me to go to the Eucharist. You know, I sit in silence because it's beautiful and heaven is beautiful and Christ is beautiful. I mean, those are all things you've got in your quiver now when you begin to, and this is the next you know, decade of work here, um, when you've got all the infrastructure built, when things are ordered, when people are calm, when they see the Eucharist as the middle of their life, you know, the thing to do is to say to people, you should try some of this. This is really good for you. And it is the most practical thing to say to imp- impatient people, we know how you can be patient. To say to people who feel like they're never blessed, we know how you can be blessed. To say to people who are chaotic, we know how to calm and order you. To say to people who are guilty or shamed, we know how to have you forgiven so that you can live a life with access to the Heavenly Father. That's the next thing. But the more resources you have as you do that, the better off you'll be. And it really starts with, and now this is just so simple, It's the wise men. Here's the thing, the wise men. You become what you adore. Whatever you adore, that's what you become. You become what you adore. I've said this to you in a different way, which is touch holy things and you become holy. Touch evil things, you become evil. But the wise men, you become what you adore. They come to the manger, they adore Christ, which means, this was the sermon, 
They fall down and go to pieces, and Jesus puts their pieces back together again. They go home by another way, new life, new way. They go home by another way, and they become different kind of people. You know, that's the point of doing this. The point of doing this is you can become a different kind of person, more in service to Christ. And that's what distinguishes it from all other kinds of silence or meditation. There are some places where it intersects, but the difference is all other kind of meditation, you become the object of your meditation in some way. For this, in this silence, in this meditation, in this prayer, Christ becomes the center. And all these other things are just meant to push you toward Christ. Why do you have incense? Why do you have candles? Why do you have beauty? Why do you have icons? Why do you have a labyrinth on the floor? Why do you have a needler? Why do you have that? Because in some way they all push you toward Christ. When you touch Christ, you become a different person. When you become a different person, you become a better disciple. When you become a better disciple, you become a better witness, and the church grows. You know, Jesus says, teach everybody everything so that they treasure it up in their heart. That's the end of Matthew 28. That's where we're trying to go. This is extraordinarily practical. But it has to start with you, because if people look at you and your life is disordered, they've already got disorder. If they read your Facebook and there's stuff on your Facebook that is you know, illicit or unkind or sad. They, they've already had that in their own life. You know, part of the reason of living a holy life is so that people say, I wish I had that, so that you become a draw, and this is one way to do it. So anyway, um, silence gives patience, gives order, gives wisdom. Um, silence gives trust. <clears throat> I just sort of put those out there. You can see what happens. It clearly gives wisdom because... You focus on things that are wise. You focus on Jesus who is wisdom. And you, when you rehearse again and again all the gifts he gives you, then you become, um, you become wise and you grow, okay? So the last promise, uh, 12, silence in the Lord's presence brings peace, right? Um, when the noise of human talking comes to an end, the temple of the Holy Spirit can be built up within you by silences. Okay, so what happens is, is that, and this is going to be the slightly uncomfortable part. It's the last thing I'm going to say to you. One thing that happens when you are silent, you meditate and you pray, you will invite demonic attack. Okay, when it comes to you, here's the deal. This is the kind of the principle for when you're tempted when you're attacked by evil, when, you're, when you engage what is demonic, don't engage it. I mean, let it, if it finds you, it's the sa- this is really interesting. It's exactly the same thing. You simply <clears throat> acknowledge it and turn away. The thing about the demonic, the thing about evil is the demonic is far more intelligent than you are, and the demonic is built on lies. On lies, Okay. So you remember this story I've told you where Luther, you know, wakes up one night and, the, you know, the devil's on the foot of his bed. It doesn't matter if it's true or not. It makes the point. He wakes up one night. The devil is sitting on the foot of his bed. Uh, he wakes up, you know, and then he looks down. He sees, he sees the devil. And he says, oh, it's just you. And he rolls over and goes back to sleep. That's the classic engagement for what's demonic. It's the classic engagement for temptation. Like if you see something you shouldn't see or you're going to do something you shouldn't do, if you're tempted to do something, it's the classic engagement for temptation, for what is evil, for what is dark, for what is demonic, for what is disordered. You recognize that it's there. You can't stop it from engaging you. Sometimes it's just there. You note it and turn away. 
Okay? It's the classic thing for what is, because if you engage it, you'll be outsmarted and you'll be deceived. So you note it and you turn away. It's very interesting that the same thing you do for, ouch, my elbow hurts, or the pipes are making noise, or, you know, is the same thing you do with the demonic. The other thing is, is that you can expect a good house cleaning. I mean, what will happen is, is things will begin to open up as you are first quiet, you'll begin to see your own life in a new way. You'll see it in the light of Christ. Not everything is going to be pretty. And so what happens is, is you know, I wrote it in terms of, as classically talked about, is you have a house and Jesus sort of moves through your house and he cleans room by room. And then occasionally he finds rooms that you don't even know exist. You're like, I didn't know I was like that. Or I never really admitted that to anybody. Or, yeah, that's a really bad habit, but I don't know what to do. If you stick with it, what happens is you get cleansed. So time is, time is God's co-worker. You have time for silence. What happens in the silence is that you become open, you become trusting, you become patient, you become cleansed, you become stronger, you become blessed. And that was the trajectory that was followed by Jesus' disciples. It's exactly what happened to them. If you think about them, come away with me and pray. They go from facing great evil and almost being undone to Pentecost, where they're able to be great witnesses to who Christ is and what he wants to do. Um, last story. Well, thirteen under 13, last thing I'll say to you. Remember that your heart is Christ's throne and that these things try to push Christ off his throne. And um, I'll tell you, i got to go, but you know what? Um, the last two quotes on the end, prayer is silent love. That's actually great. We'll come. That's a transition to talking about prayer. But this, um, have you seen the, uh, you know, John Bogle, the, the mutual funds guy, he's written a book uh, about, that's titled Enough. Have you seen this? The very first page, very interesting story. He tells a story about... Um, uh, he tells a story about Joseph Heller, who wrote Catch-22, and Kurt Vonnegut. They're at some snappy, you know, pilot. Uh, they're at some snappy party, some hedge fund manager's party. Um, and to needle Heller, um, Vonnegut says to Heller, um, this guy made more money in one day than you made for all the copies you sold to Catch-22. And Heller replies by saying, I have something that he'll never have. I have enough. And that, that's the title of the book, and of course then he uses that in a whole different way. But you should think about that. You should think about what it is to have enough, what it is to be satisfied, and you should think about what it means to, to, to actually find all satisfaction in Christ. It's a very interesting push about where your life is going to be able to say, this is what I have, and this is sufficient. This is what I have, and this is enough. Or as scripture says, you know, Christ who fills all needs and brings all love. So when I pause and think about that, um, I suppose the order would go something like silence and meditation and prayer. Um, but I didn't want to start with silence because I was afraid it would be too ambiguous. So there you go. Um, let's pray. Come back next week. Love you. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you.